120 beats per minute. Got a good good rhythm going. <laughs> so uh, the, edit, the edit that I just made, um, the episode, The Flatulists and Cornbread Mafia. <laughs> yeah. Two hours yes. and 20... Two hours and 15 minutes? Two hours and 25 minutes? That's crazy. Uh, Is that too long? Well, I don't know. I don't know enough about our audience because, I don't know. Like, if I'm doing something, like, for example, if I'm taking a long bike ride, you know, I just want to listen to people bullshit for, like, an extended period of time, as long as it's, like, compelling bullshitting, you know. I found it compelling, but I mean, is it one of those things where I find something compelling because I'm a part of it? Right. Or, but I mean, talking about the Cornbread Mafia, Long John Silver's, Roland the Farter. that's pretty interesting, bro. Took some history lessons, man. See, that's the thing, because if we got an audience full of people who want to put this on while they're doing the dishes and doing the laundry, you know, going, taking a road trip, well, then you want a two-hour long fucking episode. Okay. Yep. That's one thing that we can ask uh, Maze about is because he puts out uh, very long podcast episodes, and I know that they've gotten complaints about it in the past. The, the thing that's always funny is that people are always just like, oh, you know, this is too long. It's too long. Like, well, have you, ever, have you ever thought about listening to it in multiple parts? Like, Yeah. Have you ever thought to just keep your fucking mouth shut? Yeah. How about that? You know? How about that? Possible? How about that? It's possible. Yeah, their last episode, Dukes of Hazard, two hours and five minutes. Then Congo was two hours, 13 minutes. Men in Black 2, two hours and 13 minutes. (laughs) Bye Bye Man, two hours and two minutes. What is it? Eyeball Man. The Bye Bye Man. (laughs) The Bye Bye Man? What? Yeah, it's a... (laughs) What? You would love that movie. You love horror movies, so... (laughs) I mean, and by love it, I don't think you would actually love it, but Uh, you might enjoy watching it. it's like a slasher movie? Yes, and you... Yeah, Uh. don't... Don't say it. Don't name it. Don't say it. Don't name it. Don't whatever. <laughs> hey, Doug Jones plays the bye bye man. Dude, Doug Jones will fucking do anything. He will literally take any fucking role. <laughs> hey, you gotta you gotta stay busy, otherwise, you know, you end up just doing drugs. <laughs> That's true for me. It's probably true for others. <laughs> Even when I'm busy, I just do drugs. You know. Uh, I edited the edited video podcast BMN Mondays, you know, uh, yep. very frenetically and insanely. Anyway, it was, uh, you know, maximum going to be about 15 minutes, you know, maybe, maybe 20 minutes maximum. And I got feedback from my very small viewership that they were too long. To that I say, then move along. But you said they said 15 minutes is too long? Ah, this is too, like, I can't watch all this. This is crazy. It's 15 minutes. I can't watch. This wait. It's way too much. It's like, what? He said, I I come in. It's only 15 minutes. It's not even that long. (laughs) Hey, Jerry. (laughs) No, uh, you know, I reference 30 Rock all the time because that show has some fucking extremely poignant jokes, but Will Arnett's character at one point in time, proposes, like, I think it's, like, 10-second-long sitcoms. <laughs> and it's just, dude, it's so fucking good. That's just Vine. Well, exactly. And now TikTok. Yeah, this is before Vine, so. That's funny. 
That's funny. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, what do you think? Uh, attention spans dwindling? Is that a problem for society? Is it like whatever, we're just going to evolve, everything changes? What do you think? Hmm? Answer me. Well, I think that looking at anything and assuming the opinions of everyone is always the wrong thing to do. Because hmm. there's always going to be people that are going to dissent and disagree. And we as artists should not be listening to any criticism, critiquing, or anything. If we want to make art, we should just be making art. Yeah. Do you, I mean, then, then you know, is podcast art? Everything is, right? I don't know. Really, really the fucking not. sunset is art, right? Oh, that's, that's God's art. It's in the eye of the beholder. God's art right there. <laughs> this is God's art. This is God's art here. Listeners, welcome on into the Nostalgia Pit, a podcast aiming to dissect pop culture, the subconscious, and other psychological phenomena through a hyperbolic and prismatic lens. Hosted by Rob Snow and Colin Cassard, mixed by Alex Riddle, and songs produced by Golden Beats, the Nostalgia Pit is available anywhere you find your podcasts. Today, we welcome in a very special guest, podcast super producer Anthony Mays. With such podcasts as Cinephobe, Basketball Illuminati, and the Friday Mailbag available on the Count the Dings Network, Mays has managed to elevate the idea of what a podcast producer can be. His masterful creative touches act as the rug of his podcasts, really tying the room together. We chat about film trilogies, burritos, final bosses in movies, and the genius of Tim Curry. We also talk about how Maze became a producer, Santa Cruz, and sound editing. Make sure you give any and all of his works a listen because I assure you, you will not be disappointed. And stick around till the end where you can hear a song made especially for and about the Cinephobe podcast. You may recognize it from an earlier episode, but hey, it's a file. At this time, we want to thank our sponsors, Strange Loop Animation, a brand new visual arts company specializing in 2D animation. The founders of Strange Loop have been supporters of the show since day one, and as they are supporters of the show, we are supporters of their art. So make sure you check them out on Instagram, at Strange Loop Animation, all one word. And if you enjoy what we are doing here at The Pit and would like to support us further, please check us out at patreon.com slash the nostalgia pit. We also recently launched our merch store. Go check it out at etsy.com slash shop slash the nostalgia pit to cop a fresh t-shirt or coffee cup. All right. Well, let's get into it. Art versus commerce with Anthony Mays. I think, you know, I was just thinking about art yesterday. Something I don't normally think about. I'm disgusted by it, F- frankly. Frankly, disgusted. factually, disgusted. fractally, I'm disgusted. It's disgusting. disgusted. But I was thinking about art yesterday and how, you know, the whole strike thing, the studio thing, still going on. It's crazy. But I was thinking about how, you know, art is literally the brick and mortar. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Brick and mortar of culture. It's literally how culture is fucking made. 
It's how societies cohere. It's how cultures are created. Art is, is essential to human activity. And it's crazy that we are living in a time where it's completely up for sale at the cheapest price possible. And it's like the co consumer knows best. It's like that is the worst way to go about it because you're going to end up with absolute fucking uh, the most banal culture, the most milk toast art because people, people think they want they they think they want art that caters to them or they think they want answers to their questions or whatever, right? But they don't. That's the thing. They don't want that because when they get art that caters to them, then they're not getting any novel information. They're not getting any fucking surprise. They're not getting that fucking mystery. You know what I mean? And when they get answers to their questions then they're no longer on the hunt, which is the point of life. The hunt is the fucking point. The capturing the prey, that's almost disappointing. It's like, oh, well, all right. I, I, I got it, I guess. But the hunt is where all of the fucking vitality of life exists. The hunt for answers. That's where meaning lives. The Ethan hunt. You know what I'm saying? What do you think about that? Ethan hunt, dude. Yep. Mike hunt. Uh, Mike Hunt, yes. Ethan's cousin. Yep. They, they, you know, Tom Cruise, he asked, he wanted to be named Michael, and they said no. <laughs> he just came out the woman, he's like, excuse me. No, I mean, for Mission Impossible. Um, <laughs> so, what you're talking about, essentially, is like an hold extension. Hold on one sec, hold on one sec. What? Hey, baby! I'm on a call. Uh, I'm on a call over here. I love you. Tell her what's up. Okay. He says, what's up? Are you doing? <laughs> he says, "Are you doing?" Are you doing? <laughs> All right, bye. Okay, go ahead. What does she want? What I don't it? know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm on a call. I'm on a call. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're talking about essentially an extension of the idea that came out of fucking where? Where did this come from? The Bible. Uh, no, no. The customer is always right. It was a re it was a, a, a department store. I want to say in the twenties that that came up with that. Yeah. So the customer is always right was introduced in the early nineteen hundreds by a company called Selfridge. I want to say it was the name. Harry Gordon Selfridge. The founder of the popular Selfridges department store located in London. Um, is Harry to... his nickname because he was a furry guy? Harry Gordon. Or is that his name? Harold is his name. It's probably, probably Harold. But oh. he's probably Harry, a hairy motherfucker. He's too, probably you know? a hairy guy, though. Was, uh, yeah, know. Hairy asshole. You know it's what I mean? Back in the like, day. Yeah. But yeah, he uh, in, um, used, introduced the phrase in the early 1900s to encourage employees to prioritize customer satisfaction and create an environment where customers felt valued and respected. It was all part of his marketing and brand establishment. So. This concept is entirely incorrect. The customer is not on yes! right. The customer no! doesn't know what they fucking, they don't know anything. Like, no. leave it up, you know, like, that's just, it, 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 I get where the, it's supposed to come from, but placating to the customer, placating to the consumer, uh, entirely is how you get 
places like Applebee's. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which makes a lot of people happy, you know, I guess. Uh, <laughs> the Applebee. Applebee's. <laughs> no, but yeah, it's exactly. Like, especially in the terms of like art, you know, like you don't want to cater to people's whims and what they think they want because everybody assumes that they know what they want. And then, you know, a studio will, and we've seen this a lot lately because studios are unwilling to really risk a lot. So they're doing a lot of market research and listening to people's opinions. And then you get this fucking piece of shit, like the Star Wars movies or whatever, where they're scrambling to like please everybody and you get this hodgepodge, this hot mess. No, 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 no. Get screenwriters and directors who have vision, okay, who have taste of their own, and fucking let them do whatever they want. Give them, give them money. Yeah, I think that that is the exact reason why uh, the book of Boba Fett was like trash. Oh, because it was totally, like they were because yeah. they were trying to placate to like all of these different audiences and like you know it's just like dude just. Give someone the story. Yes. And, and and just allow them to like run with it. And then, I mean, that show like wasn't even really about Boba Fett. It was like about Boba Fett for like three episodes. And then it's like, they started to change it. I don't understand what that, the whole concept uh, that, that was a piece of shit. Boba Fett was so boring. He had nothing going on. There was no story arc really. So at all, he, he didn't even do anything. He just like basically gave all his decision-making powers up to his little crew, that, and he was, like, ultra-benevolent for no apparent reason. Like, why? Mm -hmm. He's supposed to be this badass assassin, but he's, like, always doing the right, correct thing morally. No. What's going on? Hello. Yo. How you doing? Pretty good, man. How are y'all doing? Doing great. No complaints. Just complaining about art. <laughs> Perfect. And Hollywood and everything. Yeah, we were just talking uh, Book of Boba Fett and <laughs> the idea that art, like the, kind of the failure in art in placating to exactly what the consumer wants and how right. that's like a, a way to kind of lose the overall vision when creating something. Just trying to please it. Wow. Everyone. The balance of art and commerce. Just some light afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> No, we're going to get it figured out, I'm pretty sure. You know what I, I mean? think we're going to solve it right now. If we talk about it for a good five, ten minutes, I think we could probably get it all figured now out. Now that the three out. of us are here <laughs> doing it together, I think we'll, we'll right. solve this. This is the council that was required for this. Yes. Yeah, I was saying that, you know, people think they want the prey. Okay. But they don't. People think they know what they want, but they don't. People don't want the prey. They want the hunt. The hunt is what gives people meaning and vitality and, like, excitement. People want novelty. They think they know what they want. They want art that caters to them. But that's going to fucking, that's going to be such a disappointment. And it always is. It leads to the most milk toast nonsense. It's not always a disappointment. It's just usually name, a disappointment. Name one. No. <laughs> I mean, I, I was... When you brought it up, the first things I was thinking of is who does that the best. Yeah. Mm. Obviously, what is happening with Barbie right now is a good example of it working <laughs> on both levels. Because it's yeah, a highly, true. highly commercial movie that I think... I haven't seen it yet. So I haven't I'm either, but I've heard nothing judgment. but good stuff. Exactly. Okay. So I think, I think Greta did the perfect 
using the Barbie name and brand as a Trojan horse for her real mm -hmm. creative thoughts and ideas. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good balance of exactly that. The commercial, uh, you know, the requirement of the studio to make a bunch of money, but also <laughs> to give artists a little bit of their own vision. I'm trying to think. The, f the first two Transformers? Kind yeah, of? Yeah, I did not mind the first one. Yeah. Michael Bay at his peak blowing shit up, but it's a toy. Shia LaBeouf before he was completely insane. <laughs> yep. Yeah, dude. Off yep. the rails. Megan Fox unleashed on the world. So there's definitely some good that came out of that. I mean, <laughs> I, th I think this is probably more art than commerce, but Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Would be the, the master of this. For of sure. Making a very crowd-pleasing movie that makes a bunch of money for everyone, mm -hmm. but that still is not necessarily high art, but would stand up to artistic criticism. Right. Yeah. Like Ready Player One, I feel like, would kind of fall into both of those, where it's like you have all the little Easter eggs that are going to please everyone, but also that movie was, like, I wasn't mad at it. You know? I enjoyed it. I didn't see West Side Story. Or like the West Side Story remake. Oh, I haven't seen it. Is it good? Which is, yeah, it was way... I, for me, I, I thought, I don't need this. <laughs> the original West Side Story is <laughs> yeah. very good still. The music, obviously it's a Broadway musical, so they're redoing it all the time on Broadway. But yeah. as a movie, I didn't think I needed it. And then my dad was raving about it because he loves musicals and mm. also Spielberg. And he said Spielberg crushed it and he did and although i hate ansel elgort with a vicious vicious passion i i enjoyed it oh yeah musicals definitely uh, uh deter me as well so i feel that my dad my dad beat it into me i didn't have a choice like i know a lot of a lot of dads force like bad action movies or <laughs> I don't even know stuff like Caddyshack on their sons, yeah. but my dad. It was Oklahoma for you. <laughs> it was the Rent soundtrack. It yeah. was oh, yeah. five hundred twenty-five thousand. Exactly. How many minutes it takes to measure a year? My dad forced me to watch. Uh, so you mentioned Barbie by Greta Gerwig. Okay. Are you excited about Lena Dunham's Polly Pocket movie? <laughs> oh, man. Well, perfectly timed question for me. So <laughs> I just rewatched the first season of Girls. Okay. I would say in the last two weeks because my girlfriend and I, we were watching Sex in the City, which was fucking excruciating by the end of it. I was so <laughs> tired of that shit. Because they snuck in, I think it's season two has 24 episodes or 30 episodes, just something insane. Cause it's, Damn, that's huge. That's like old school shit. Or oh, yeah, right. Before we capped everything at 10. Right. And then by season six, it's so beyond a parody of itself and blah, blah, blah. So we dove into Girls once we finished Sex in the City. First season of Girls is a fucking masterpiece. Oh, damn. It was... Great at the time. I liked it at the time. That was 2013, so we're 10 years on from that. Obviously, I was roughly her age, so it hit extra hard at the time because 
felt pretty relevant. And then looking back at it, there's a little bit of nostalgia, but just the episodes are so excellently written and the arcs of the characters and every, everything's put together really, really well. And then second season, it's already slipping. <laughs> oh, damn. All like, right. We just, I, we just had by far the worst episode of the run <laughs> yet. And I remember how crazy and like kind of soapy it gets by the end. And then, man, she literally hasn't done anything relevant since. So No. Well, there was the whole controversy, you know what I mean? I don't know if she like got back from that. I don't know. But Well, she had she had a show called Camping that I didn't watch. Oh, okay. I didn't watch that. With I didn't watch Girls though. Jennifer so. Garner and it did one season then got canceled. Hmm. And when she was making that, she had beef with her executive producer Jenny Connor and they broke up and that was before whatever the latest <laughs> round of headlines was and then mm-hmm. yeah she she literally has another had another project so uh I will give her a shot <laughs> at the Polly Pocket the Polly Pocket the movie it's not I'm not going to be there opening night <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's fair yeah uh, considering that I wasn't at opening night for Barbie I I want to watch Barbie I want to oh, enjoy that soon Mm-hmm. The Lena Dunham Polly Pocket movie starring Lily Collins will not be <laughs> on the top of my list. Me and my wife were just talking about it last night. The only thing that we've watched with Lena Dunham was Tiny Furniture. Great. And Love that movie. Man, I did not like it. I did not Why like it. Why didn't you like it? Well, I just feel like there wasn't, I came away with it feeling nothing. I was like, okay. Like, I don't understand what any of that was about. You didn't relate to that feeling at all? No, it felt very, like, empty. There was a lot of, like, trappings of, like, this is something you should think about. But really, there was no substance there. She's just, like, a disaffected younger person, the daughter of an artist. She feels, like, inferior. It's just like, all right, you know, cool. Could have wrote a little article, I guess. I mean, I think what she did really well in that, movie and then in the first season the girls at the very least is a real self-awareness not just of her but of the world that she was in which was Mm. this very preppy rich white right new york liberal experience going to you know liberal arts colleges back east and then you meet a lot of people with a lot of big ideas who are kind of empty. Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, I'll give you that. Yeah. So yeah. I, I get it. Like you weren't, you weren't hooked and her, her acting is not her strength. Yeah. But that's because she's a really good writer and director. So it's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember, I remember, you know, she made that movie for no money. Right. Yeah. With her friends. Mm. And that's always interesting to me when somebody like, that's what bottle rocket is. Yeah. Yep. So I'm always, I'm always, you know, it's never going to be the best movie ever, but you can see like ideas. Well, there's always a sliding scale too. Cause I'll tell you what, if my friend had made that movie, <laughs> I would be like, God damn, that, that was really yeah. good. You know? Yeah. But since I saw it on like a streaming service or whatever, I was like, mm-hmm. okay, whatever. <laughs> you know? Yeah. God, where's the production value? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what does this even mean? So that's too art. Not enough commerce. You needed some commerce. <laughs> that's right. You gotta find that balance. 
this kind of brings up the, just the idea of, of the complexity of movies and how it is like, you know, I was thinking about it in, in a sports metaphor sense. It's more like the, the production of a movie is more baseball than basketball. Like you can't just cast, you can't have a power director and, and make a good movie if the if the whole crew and everything is is not good. If you don't have a good editor, you don't have good production, you don't have good acting, et cetera. So it's it's more of a team effort. But I I was listening to the Congo episode, got to 11 minutes in when Amin said to stop it, stopped it and and went and watched it. And I remembered having very fond memories of Congo. Um, you know, it came out in 95, right? And I was six years old or whatever when that came out. And so went back and watched it. It was just like, holy shit, this is, this is awful. But uh, so watching Tim Curry's performance, I had thought Tim, before watching that, I was like, Tim Curry can do no wrong. He's like a perfect actor and stuff like that. And then watching his Romanian philanthropist accent, I was like, oh, wow, this is, um, this is something. But it just kind of, it, it brought me into the question of like, what do you think, what would you say are the most important uh, roles in the filmmaking process that are looked past. I mean, obviously director and actor are like the, the two biggest ones, but for me, I always think that editing is like a huge thing about movies that people don't really think about and that you can kind of film. I mean, you can, you can get all the good cinematography, you can get all the good acting and stuff like that, but if it's edited poorly, it will fuck up everything. But I don't know. You watch more movies than any of us anyone i've ever encountered so it's got to be true i just watch one horrendous movie a week (laughs) (laughs) i'm not david simon out here watching a random movie that only he likes a day i'm watching one terrible (laughs) movie a week i'm I, i watch way more television than i do movies at this point Partially because of cinephobe. Well, there's television is so cinematic nowadays. True. Yeah. But I still, but I think the the entirety of film, like I watch, I watch more television because current and because there's more new stuff. But you know, you could always pick out a movie from any year that's pretty masterfully made. But before we talk about that, I do have to ask: Was that a drive-by shooting on Tim Curry in Congo? Because I'm not going to stand for that, Colin. Well. I'm not saying that his performance is bad in that. I think that he might be the greatest actor of all time. He's really good. When you look at Rocky Horror Picture Show, Home Alone 2, fucking <laughs> just like everything that he's done, just like the absolute range, uh, legend. Great two, great, great double feature <laughs> greatest, you just picked. Yeah. Hey, when you, know? you look at Rocky Horror <laughs> and Home Alone 2, hey, stop there. He crushes it. it in Greatest both, actor of all time. <laughs> crushes it in both tim curry is one of my favorite actors of all time but i was just saying the idea of i don't think that he is perfect in that movie by any means and i think that it's not his fault i think it's the writing and the the directing and everything and so that was why i am giving him a stray so to speak okay all right just had to clear that up (laughs) i think you're right on with editing i mean I, i would say probably my favorite thing is cinematography and then I don't notice it as much or I I don't necessarily watch it with that idea. It's one of those things that you only notice when it's really bad editing. But that's probably the two like I I still can't quite get into sound editing or sound mixing or all of that. There was a movie called Blowout from 1983 with Travolta made by Brian De Palma where he plays a sound editor 
or a oh, fo- yeah, like a foley right. artist. Yeah, and he he witnesses or d- uncovers a murder or some shit. Yeah, he witnesses the, yeah. a a car crashing into a a body of water, and he that was a that was a good movie. I like really that. good. And what it does incredibly well is it shows you how to do sound mm. for a movie because he does it for essentially B grade or lower horror movies. That's his job, and. There's him capturing live sound like uh, at night. There's him cutting together sound using these massive machines and mm-hmm. actual analog film and shit that I do on a computer and one one hundredth of a time, but it was actually a craft and mm-hmm. you got to know how all these machines run and stuff. And the other movie that does that, a really good exploration of that is The Conversation, hmm. which is Gene Hackman and... Uh, Francis Ford Coppola movie, which is like 1974. It's between the Godfathers. He did Godfather, Conversation, Godfather hmm. 2. And in that one, Gene Hackman is... He doesn't work in the movies. I think he like just records sound. Don't think he's... I can't remember exactly, but I don't think he's like a spy, but he... He offers wiretapping services. Mm. Yeah, is there you his go. Job. So he he's like a freelance sound guy, and same thing, like very tactile. Him working with you see him like rewind and replay this one segment over and over and over again, and like apply different things to like clean out the the sound. Like he takes out a drum beat. You see him like calibrate the machine to sync with the drum beat so that it actually like. You can hear the audio of the voice that's underneath it. That's so crazy. Stuff like that, especially now that I edit podcasts, is fascinating thinking about that. Um, but it's harder to see in a movie. Yeah. Like if you just go see Barbie, for example, I don't think you're going to really notice the sound mixing and stuff. Right. Yeah. The first time recently in my the, uh, movies that I've seen in the last couple of years that I noticed the sound design was Triangle of Sadness. And it was the only reason I noticed it was because it kind of took me out of it a little bit. Like there were just a couple, um, I think that movie was really fucking good, but there were a couple sound design choices that kind of brought me, I don't like took me like, just out of the situation. I couldn't really suspend my disbelief for it. And you know, that movie, the cinematography was like impeccable. Acting is fucking amazing. The casting's great. You know, like, so there's so many elements of that movie that I was just like, oh, this is really good. But then there was this, just a couple sound design choices that, that took me out of it. And, you know, I've produced uh, music and, and now been editing podcasts for a couple of years. And, and so I started to notice those things. I don't think when, when I, when I would have in the past, you know, speaking of the matrix, your background there, uh, matrix, what is it? Three maybe, or two, oh God. uh, where they had the bowling pins sound oh. effect. <laughs> We've talked about that on the, on the yes. podcast, but it was so good, man. So good. Yeah, where, where there were all, all the Agent Smiths, Smiths get Agent hit. Smiths, oh. and they get hit, and there's the fucking bowling wow. pins gag. Like, what yep. were they thinking? Yep. Never noticed that. That's great. It's so good. We had to rewind it. We were watching all the Matrix films, me and my wife. I had to rewind that. I was like, are you kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me right now? I mean, that's like that's like if Neo started to run and they put like the Hanna-Barbera bongos or yeah. something. I can't imagine. <laughs> like, I, I have vouched for it, Reloaded. In the past, yeah. I like Reloaded. Yeah. Can't do Revolutions. Revolutions is a mess. <laughs> it just there's diminishing returns as those. Unfortunately, it's cinephobe eligible, so it might happen someday. <laughs> oh, it's really? be excruciating because it's like seven hours long. So but terrible. 
The Agent <laughs> Smith fight, I remember thinking was really cool at the time. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure it looks like shit now. Oh, and it looks I know like that even oh, slightly yeah. afterwards, like there'd be freeze frames where you see five different faces that they just didn't bother to <laughs> deep fake. Yeah. And you've got like the short Agent Smith and you've got like the, <laughs> the fat agents. It's just like, okay, guys. What are y'all doing? This was a video game cutscene that yep. didn't get enough Passovers. Yeah. I don't know what they did. If they blew their load budget-wise too early or what, I don't know. But I don't think <laughs> it's they real had, bad. They just they just didn't have the capability of doing it. <laughs> they just they were pushing it. They were pushing it hard. I honestly think they're way better off if that's just you. Just know that everybody's an age. Well, I guess he's freed himself at that point. That's why it can't yeah. be multiple faces. But just have him build an army of different looking dudes. Who cares? Right. It's you still get that he's powerful. Like it doesn't have to be all him. Is there another trilogy that starts out as strong and ends as poorly as the <laughs> Matrix? Like, well, Godfather, I guess. <laughs> you know, no, but the second one is better. Oh, so. you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's like it's a steady downhill with the Matrix. So it's like one, yeah. two, three. Yeah. So yeah. it's like number one is like one of the greatest movies ever. Yeah. Number two is like okay. And then number three sucks. Hot garbage. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What about four? Do you even count That's four? That's a really good question. Not counting. I don't I'm not counting it in, in this trilogy conversation. Yeah. And I thought it was okay. Sorry. Right. I yeah, I was kind of, I don't feel any need to watch it again. That yeah, was Resurrections, right? Matrix Resurrections. Uh oh yeah, I think so, right. Something like that. Matrix four reboot. It 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 had some stuff. It also didn't have some stuff. But that's a really good question, man. I, I everything else I'm thinking of is either like, you know, I, I I guess I don't know how you guys feel about Temple of Doom. Uh, I liked it because it's definitely the worst of those three. Yeah, but it's the second one. Yeah, I was watching the Rush Hour movies recently, and oh. I was just like, oh man, is this the greatest buddy cop like saga ever? And then I started watching three, and I realized I have never seen three. There's a th- I, wait. There's a third one. <laughs> yeah, it came out six oh. years after the release of the second one, and the first and second are like up there with Lethal Weapon as far as like buddy cop movies that are just it's re- they're just really fucking good. And then the third one, I was like watching it, and I was like, oh, this kind of hurts a little bit, you know? Like I didn't even know there was a third one. I know that one's so cinephobe eligible. I think it's like seventeen percent. Okay, what about, oh, no. I was going to say, well, Back to the Future, I think the second one's really good, too. Yeah, the second one's classic. Yeah. Spider-Man, the second one was better than the first. Agreed. And then the third one sucked. Trash. Third- <laughs> so that one's that one's close. When Tobey Maguire pops up with the eyeliner on, Ugh. I laughed in the in the theater so hard. I was like, what is, what? I was yeah. like, this is, this is Venom? Venom is eyeliner and black hair and... And they couldn't have cast no, a worst actor for Venom in that. It was like, what yeah. were y'all thinking, man? Bizarre. I mean, Toby was hot, right? He was hot in that in that time period. What's the dude from that '70s show? What's that name? Uh, Topher Grace. Oh, yes. Topher Grace. Yeah. Terrible. It was just trying to do too many things. It was. It was. Yeah. The Sandman. Sandman. Yeah. Yeah, movie with a lot of potential. Ooh, a uh, third X Men. Uh, yeah, I mean, it might be X. It might be X Men. Pretty bad third one. I don't think X two was better than the original. No, I don't but think also so. maybe the, the but the first one wasn't that 
amazing either. <laughs> it was just cool yeah. to have yeah. it. Yeah. So that might that might be the best comp, but just you know, nothing's gonna touch the Matrix. <laughs> as far as just dropping off from the X Men universe, I don't think that's yeah. happening. Yeah, that first X Men revolutionary. Whew. A lot of a lot of big thoughts. Hugh Jackman, man. Yep. Gave the world Hugh Jackman. <laughs> That's true. That's he true. He recovered from Swordfish to make X-Men. <laughs> Which oh. is really funny because, you know, in the comics, like, Wolverine's this little squat, hairy, ugly dude. And then in the movie, he's this, like, you know, he's fucking Hugh Jackman. It's like it's such a bizarre turn, but it couldn't have been better. Yeah, I can't imagine anyone else being cast as that role at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is solidly Shit, he's solidly still being Wolverine. Wolverine. Well, he still is going to be Wolverine. And that's right. Deadpool 3. Cameo City. I'm excited I mean, we'll see if that enters into this <laughs> trilogy conversation. I don't know how much more mileage they're going to get out of it. But. I hear that it's going to be good. I think the second one was almost as good as the first. It was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I like the... Forget what his name in, is in that movie. He's throwing fireballs, but he's the little New Zealand kid from Hunt for the Wilder People. Oh, yeah. Yep. Julian Dennison. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. When I'm on the court, I'm a machine. A vehicle. A weapon, weapon, weapon. A single-engine multi-role fighter aircraft originally developed by General Dynamics for the United States Air Force. And when I need to engage in an aerial fueling maneuver, I always fill up my F-16 Fighting Falcon's left exterior fuel tank with sucrose. With 24 grams of sugar and 1,000 milligrams of sodium, it's enough to keep me flying. Sucrose. Get high. Thanks for jumping on. Thanks for talking movies with us. I got a couple questions for you that I want to spitball at you. Oh, are we recording? We could be. Oh, is yeah. This, is this a show? Is this a show? This is not always three dudes hanging out, you know, solving the balance of art and commerce. That's right. Yeah, we just coaxed you here <laughs> just because we wanted to hang out, you know. This is uh, Rob. This is me. I'm Colin. What's up? You know, What's up, What's up, up dude? What's up, dude? Welcome to the room, dude. Welcome. But yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll spitball the intro. Uh, I always do it in post. Uh, I'll give, I'll let the the audience know who you right. are, etc. But um, letting us know how the sausage gets made. I see. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone's got to do we'll it. Fix you know? it in post. Fix it in post. That's, I'm the producer. That's the name of the game, right? I'll edit Drop in my that. voice, and you won't know when it was recorded. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel a bit like God on these shows, being the uh, decider of how this thing is gonna? Be presented to the world. I mean, God is a bit strong. It's a podcast. But <laughs> <laughs> if we're not being hyperbolic, there's no point. I try to make it the best that I can and something that I would enjoy. So that's really all I can do. It's a good ethos. So, how did you get into the world of podcast production? I mean, like at, in, as a professional sense, at what point in time were you like, this could be a job? Just because I know, you know, I assume that you started out kind of like me where you just wanted to start chopping up podcasts or, or talking with people and, and things like that. But what is your origin story, so to speak? Well, let's see. I, I was part of the extended Count the Dings network when they went independent post 
Sussman fraud scandal. It's 2017 ish, 2018 maybe. And I would do the mailbag and I would do a TV podcast that I would host. And Jade was the producer and he (laughs) was doing 9 million things. Hmm. So it was basically whenever i could like get him to push record and then who knows like it might it might end up published like the next day it might end up published like three days later you know he was (laughs) at that point he would he had worked they had like sold the basketball stuff to the athletic so it's like he was doing the basketball show independent then they went to the athletic and that's when the athletic nba show uh, with Jade and Zach and Waz when he made that jump and a couple other people that like that's when he was doing that and then he would do a couple count the ding shows and then he would do stuff for me and it was mostly like I want to take some stuff off of Jade's plate and also just kind of like cut him out of the process or at least like have the process be that I send him the pod and all he has to do is post it whenever and i had done a lot of photo editing so i'm comfortable with computer work and then hadn't really like done too much video editing ever here and there you know iMovie and stuff but never really like focused on it for projects with any sort of complicated stuff but i was familiar at least with how it worked and then essentially jade told me how he did it which is you know i use final cut this is my preset for the voice whatever just to kind of get a baseline and then it was just messing around just kind of like getting final cut and working on it and you know putting in the the time and the the effort and yeah i was working at whole foods and then doing this pretty much in my spare time afternoons days off etc so kind of grew from there and then i was just working on stuff with the tv podcast and then they or jade specifically said zach and amin want to do this show but we need a producer do you want to do it and i said sure and so obviously that was 20 i think end of 2018 maybe early 2019 when cinephobe started and as most people know from listening to the terrifying early episodes that I haven't gone back to in a long, <laughs> long time, I did not do a whole lot at the beginning. And <laughs> I didn't even really talk because I didn't know how much Zach and Amin, I didn't know, they didn't know what they were, like, it was all just literally figuring it out. They wanted, they watched terrible movies and would text each other about it. Look what! Look at this piece of shit that I found. Whatever, <laughs> and then they obviously talked about all these old movies that they both liked. That and that's how they came up with the concept and all that. And then they brought me in, and so pretty much, I was still doing the TV podcast at this time. I was doing the TV podcast and Cinephobe, but eventually I stopped doing the TV podcast because Cinephobe kept getting bigger and more work, and became like the main, the main production element. And so yeah, it just kind of as most things do, like I started figuring out more what I wanted to do with the editing. The show took more of a shape in terms of like 
how it was going to be structured and how it was going to sound and, you know, building intros and building drops. And you can really hear it, I think. Like, if you just listen to the intro of the first, I don't know, like, episodes 10 to 35, I, I think there's probably, like, three, four variations just to get to that first final intro that I had. And then, obviously, like, made a second intro couple years later and a third intro and you know all the drops for all the categories and all the drops that like have waves of months at a time or weeks at a time or things that stay funny for a certain amount of time and so yeah just a lot of experimentation and free time and then eventually it just got to the point where like I didn't well I wasn't really making money off of production I was making a little bit of money but the time commitment to to regular work was like making it a tight squeeze for production stuff. And so then I asked Tom Haverstrow if he wanted me to produce his basketball show, which was independent at the time, the Haver show. Mm-hmm. And Jade was doing that one too. And he was doing that one like bare minimum, like hitting record, pumping it out. So it's kind of the same deal. They were like looking for somebody there. COVID happened and I stayed at Whole Foods probably a year longer than I would have or whatever because it was an essential employee situation and it felt good to actually have work while everybody was trapped at home and like it started fine or like it started to probably the first six months being a good thing to be working and then the last six months it's like all right things are falling apart it's time to shove off and so uh just you know made the leap and luckily it worked out but i was already i already had work that i was doing it just became a matter of having like way more time to dedicate to that and then you know things things happen where like if you if you quit a job or if you open up a chunk of your schedule because you stop doing something there's like a week where you're like wow i have all this time and I can, you know, make an actual breakfast for myself every day or like <laughs> yeah. just dumb shit. Like I can take a walk at three and then all of a sudden that time gets filled up with other stuff and <laughs> yeah. you're back to working full time or whatever again. It never lasts. Yeah. Yeah. I did the restaurant thing. COVID happened and I, you know, I was in restaurants for like 12 plus years and that was always how I supplied myself with finances in order to make music. Music was always the the thing where I was trying to be a musician for a certain period of time and then it just kind of fell apart. I you know, I moved to Portland from the town that I was in and so I lost my music community, so to speak, and thought that I was an introvert, but then trying to make music by myself was like, oh, you know, I definitely bounce off of uh, other people. And so yeah, it was an interesting process. So I kind of just dove into the restaurant world when I moved down to Portland like a decade ago. And when COVID happened, it became, yeah, it was really fun for the first six months of working. And you're like, yeah, you know, we're doing this. This is interesting. And then all of a sudden, the restaurant industry really started to get decimated as, as uh, mainly as prices of like all of the products went up. And then, you know, prices of the everything went up and I lost you know, a hefty wage in, in, in coming back. And, you know, the restaurants were like, oh, we can't pay you as much, blah, blah, blah. So I decided to quit, pursue my psychology degree, 
And then at a certain point, I was kind of bored and wanted my, you know, to hang out with my friends again. And in listening to the Levitard show, it was, you know, kind of the spurring moment where I was like, you know, that'd be cool to have a conversation with my friends and maybe record it and stuff like that. And so I hit up Rob here and our buddy Kevin, and we started just, you know, doing some recordings and testing it out. And originally we were called Ruining Your Childhood. We, we you know, it was Ruining Your Childhood, The Pitfalls of Nostalgia. Too much of a mouthful as, as far as... And we uh, really didn't ruin very many childhoods. You no, know, we didn't. To we be were, honest. We were false advertising, yeah, so... We fell flat on that one. Yeah, now we're just the nostalgia pit. But um, the, the idea of podcast production definitely appeals to me. You know, I, I've produced a couple podcasts outside of my own. I got hired to do this one. Uh, it was called It Did Happen Here, which was about essentially uh, uh, neo-Nazis in Portland in the, in the late 90s. And... I don't know. It's just it, it's been an interesting process trying to learn everything, producing a couple hundred episodes for, you know, various shows and stuff like that. And then discovering your stuff with Cinephobe and Basketball Illuminati has really been an inspiration for the fun that a producer can have and like the touches that they can add to it and really oomphing it up, so to speak, giving it zhuzhing that zhuzh, it up. giving it that zhuzh, zhuzh. you know, that zhuzh. zhuzh. But I've always really appreciated your uh, ability to cut the samples up and do those intros um, in Cinephobe. And Basketball Illuminati, I think, is my, like, my favorite pod theme song. Like, that shit slaps. It's a banger. Yeah, well, thankfully, there's APM license-free, royalty-free music. And that song's on there. <laughs> Shout out to whoever made that and put that out there. Because that is nice. a symphonic escalation of <laughs> impending doom. Yes, yeah. It sounds like the world's about to end, but it's a vibe. someone made that for free. That's rad. <laughs> That's amazing, dude. Thank God for their selfless sacrifice. Yeah, I mean, I have no musical ability. Hmm. I've never played any instrument. I've never... Have you ever tried to beatbox? Do it right now. I bet you could do it. <laughs> Not happening. <laughs> Oh. You're trying to ruin my childhood. But what if you did and you were just really good at it? You I'm know not going mean? to let you. That's not the name of this podcast anymore. <laughs> but it's been interesting to to do stuff like that where, it, you know, I've, I've cut, I've taken existing music and cut it up. So like yeah. the Cinephobe, the original, original theme song that is just like a sample of this weird song that I found that I cut up the drum, like a couple loops and like looped some stuff. And I don't know, very, very crudely basic garage band level work. But yeah. because I sort of gained an understanding just of like how do you sync up two people saying the same word, for example. <laughs> By like adjusting the speed or like reading the waveforms. Like I feel like I've kind of visually can do it in Final yep. Cut. Yep. And so, you know, like the lookout for number one intro was really fun because it's like I I broke up lookout for number one into like the guitar riff and like the choruses mm -hmm. and then kind of like weaved in the the guitar riff loop as long as I needed it to fit however many quotes i wanted to throw in there so it's like i kind of you know approach it like mathematically and you know sometimes you have to speed up a a quote or sometimes you have to slow it down or you know and you can 
kind of get away with it. I want to say until like 80% or like 120% before it's like really noticeable, depending on what <laughs> type of word it is. And yeah. it's just fitting, fitting things into windows like that. And I had a lot of fun, actually. I don't know if you ever listened to the Underdogs theme song, mm-hmm. but that one was really fun because that was uh, the acapella cover of Underdog theme song from Scrubs. With Ted, the lawyer, the bald lawyer, and his oh, uh, his acapella group, acapella group. <laughs> who I forget their name, but it's something hilarious, some punny thing, yeah. And that was first of all, it's an incredible recording. They fucking smoked that track. <laughs> why why were they so good? <laughs> it was super fun to remix into a a different type of intro. I actually really enjoyed that that process. Yeah, it's like a more creative thing to do. It's hard it though. Fun. Yeah, it, it's literally like I have to do that when I. Mean, I you're remixing. I'm not on a deadline, you know. Like yeah. that needs to be like I'm gonna put away like six hours and you're producing a remix. Fine tune this one weird song, and hopefully it'll work out at the end because otherwise I wasted a shitload of time. <laughs> the the first song that it's all I, about the hunt, man. It's all about the hunt. The first uh, venture into production, quote unquote, for me was when I had discovered hip hop and I took a Ace of Bass song, All That She Wants, and I dropped it into my garage band, chopped out all of the instrumental portions to it, and then just proceeded to loop and, you know, arrange my own version of the instrumental track. And then I put (laughs) that, I rapped over that and put it on my first mixtape. I went back and I listened to it a couple of years ago and I was like, oh, this is bad. I mean, not, not like the production side of it, but like my vocal presentation is, is all, it's all I'll say. I mean, I think that's, that is the truest feeling of the artist. <laughs> yeah. That thing I did two years ago, it fucking it's sucks. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> God, it's terrible. I can't stand listening to it. I bet, I bet very successful, famous people feel that way. Yeah, probably. If it's not your newest, yeah. yeah. Well, I feel like how can you want to improve and be excellent if you don't look back at your catalog and go, what the fuck was I doing? This is terrible. You know what I mean? That means you've leveled up. And even if it's, you know, if it's something commercial, balance of art and commerce, mm-hmm. if it's something that's very commercial and you feel like you're better, but you're not as commercial, that's another classic artist conundrum. You know, mm-hmm. people just want me to do that shitty Ace of Bass right. rap remix that i made and i'm i'm way better now i'm doing way cooler shit everybody feels that way i was just listening to some podcast they were talking about chubba wumba oh right and uh <laughs> i get knocked down and i get up. well yeah so they had made like what's new the name of that song though con tub thumper oh shit you asked him my bad i got I had it a though. feeling you would know. I, know I think he was gonna say i get knocked down that's why i was throwing it his way <laughs> you were gonna catch him <laughs> I've just got his back. I was going to say piss in the night away or whatever that line. That they- <laughs> Tub thumping. Tub thumping. Tub thumping. Tub wow. thumping. They had produced a new album. They were super stoked about it. They went on tour. Everybody at every fucking stop was like, dude, tub thumping. Play tub thumping, Play bro. Tub Shut thump. up with this new shit. <laughs> and they were like, god damn it. I drink a lager drink, bro. <laughs> they would start the set out. It'd be like, we're not playing tub thumping, all right? We're just not going to do it, all right? Forget about it. It's like the band at the Catalina Wine Mixer. Yes. <laughs> we only play 80s Joel. 
<laughs> Take your steak hooker wife and you get the fuck out of here. Uh, uh, I would like to scenes. include in our conversation, in, in, in the category of, of trilogies that degrade, diminish over time. TMNT, baby. Come on. Come on! Oh, yeah. That's actually not bad. The first movie is a classic, a complete masterpiece. The second movie is, uh, whatever, it's fine. The third movie sucked! What I'm not going to do is call the original TMNT The Matrix. But (laughs) I will say that it is a a similar level of drop-off. Yeah. Because the third one was way worse than the second one. Yeah. So terrible. Yeah. Way, way worse. Listening to the the cinephobe you guys did on TMNT2 kind of like broke my mind for a little bit because that was like a staple movie for me as a child. I watched it so many times. I was like, there's nothing they could say that's bad about this or anything. No, it's and not then good. hearing, you know, I mean, whatever, you know, people's opinions are, but like the trivia at the end where it was like, they didn't even know, like they don't actually reveal what the secret of the use is. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm like and I was that's like, true. it's a secret. My mind was blown. It's a secret. Like, what's, You're not what's supposed to know. Yeah, <laughs> but just like, what did they name the movie before yeah, they wrote nobody it? Nobody knows. It's not the truth of the ooze. Right. The truth of the it's ooze. the Touché. secret. It's not the disclosure of the declassified ooze. Is there a worse final boss? final uh, uh, fight scene in a movie than TMNT 2. I mean, he turns into the super, super shredder, <laughs> knocks a pillar down. What a waste of, a, a pillar of down, an awesome and character. And falls on him. Oh, man. Super shredder. That's a really good question. Final bosses, man. Final bosses in movies. Yeah. What a concept. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's pretty bad. They didn't even fight him. I don't know if there's going to be something worse than that. <laughs> no, they did No, he no, fought he himself. knocks the pillars over and then... This is the pier falls on him, and then like I guess he's dead. <laughs> That's it. It's a bummer, man. But ni- we got ninja rap though, so I mean, I mean, we did get that. That's a fact. Ninja. Yeah, that was something. As somebody who had never seen that movie before, that was definitely <laughs> eye opening. Oh, so that was your first time seeing that movie? Was for Cinephobe? Yeah. A lot of the a lot of the movies are Zach and Amin's youth movies mm. ah. that i was you know secret of the news was 92 i was three years old and i didn't have any siblings okay and my parents were not going to like go out of their way to get that shit so it's like teenage mutant ninja turtles more or less completely miss me in all ways like the cartoon the movies all of it damn yeah siblings are important i had older brothers that were seven years older than me and a sister that was six years older than me so you're getting you're getting filtered down a lot of stuff. Yes. At a very young age like that. Yeah. You know, most you probably didn't even understand totally. No, not at all. I mean, I thought it was a great movie for the longest time. You're, and then I go also because your older siblings <laughs> telling you that it's cool. You know, exactly. Yeah, well, that goes a long way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a high, high value endorsement at that point in your life. When my brother was was over it, I got the whole Technodrome Fucking like wheelable oh, toy that opened so up. And, you know, yeah, I had a I'm bunch so of the toys. Jealous. I thought it was the coolest thing. It was fun. I had good times. But that makes sense if you were if you were an only kid or an only child. But yeah, I mean, I was three at the the, the same when that came out as well. So definitely didn't watch it as a three year old, but was consuming it in the in the mid to late. Probably 90s. had it on VHS. I'm gonna guess. Yes, still have it on VHS. Floating around here. Your playroom. We uh, I started helped start a sandwich company in Portland, and I donated my VHS collection to it. And it's like a, an early '90s themed 
you know, simplistic uh, uh, sandwich shop here. And you got walk into the lobby and there's all the VHSs around in the ceiling. And so those movies are up there. Ass load of movies. It's a noble sacrifice, man. Yeah. Well, it was taking up a lot of space. You have all that <laughs> old media, you know? Yeah. I collected old video games for a long time. So I had like boxes of Genesis games and SNES games and stuff like that. And eventually I was just like, you know, you can get an emulator. It's true. It's, it works a lot better. It's true. Yeah. Strudel. My dad is back hard into buying DVDs. <laughs> what? What? He's going, uh, he's going hard him into in this? the paint, dude. <laughs> wow. Why? He had like six new Criterion collections <laughs> on his kitchen table when I went in there this last weekend. He's putting in work, dude. He's, he's single-handedly <laughs> upholding the industry. Someday, probably fairly soon, it's gonna be mine so i can't you know i got that looking, <laughs> to look forward to i got a fun game of like this is the shit that my dad is like is just my dad and then like this is the shit that's actually cool we'll see we'll see how that goes probably about half and half maybe maybe a little more than half he's got some very weird specific interests that i could not care less about not just musicals what's a hyper specific interest that you're like Dude, what the hell dad i mean like <laughs> I, I'm I'm sorry. I can't really hang, and I definitely won't endorse owning movies from like the '40s to like the late '50s. Oh wow! Like black and white, you know, like His Girl Friday. My dad is really likes His Girl Friday. <laughs> I've never even I've never heard watched of that. it. <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm a girl named Friday. I'm out. You lost me. I'm out. <laughs> Deal breaker, red flag. And it's it's a lot of stuff from that era. And just kind of more like obscure more obscure stuff. I mean, like I I'm pretty film literate, so I feel like I know most things, but he definitely has some stuff that I don't know and don't really have any interest in knowing. Yeah, 1940. Huh? I think the only like black and white movies that I can enjoy are like the neo noir crime movies from back in the day and you get like a you know the transatlantic accent and yeah the man in the black hat you know and just like some yeah, of that yeah. shit can be pretty snappy fun. dialogue and lots of sick disses you want to talk oh, about yeah. editing it's not happening back then they're letting that <laughs> tape roll they got one camera set up for the scene <laughs> and they'll start over if they have to rather than cut that's not gonna happen yeah i watched the killing by stanley kubrick couple years back mm. phenomenal fucking movie it's so yeah. good i love noir i love neo-noir you know it, it's great like dude fucking blade runner sci-fi neo-noir shut the fuck up that's my shit i love it yeah i really liked i know it got some flack but blade runner 2049 is like oh it was a great is, movie is, it's it one of my favorite movie. movies i've seen in the last like 10 years really enjoyed that one i haven't watched it again but i remember enjoying it the first time Yep. I do wish they had kept uh, Harrison Ford kind of out of it. They really didn't you can't need to keep him away that, from but... these sets, man. I know. I know. <laughs> Apparently, like, for a guy who kind of seemed like he could care less about acting most of his career, <laughs> yeah. he certainly is taking a lot of jobs in the last five years. Yes. Like, a, like anybody gives him 10 mil, he's in. 
So <laughs> something's going on. I don't know. Yeah, what maybe it is. he's got some bills or I don't know, outstanding debts. Who knows? I think some people they want to leave like a legacy for their kids or something like that, and that's like super important to them. And so it's not, it's like, oh, this thirty million dollars won't be enough. We need to we need to increase it by massive more. Or you have the Bruce Willis type of thing where yeah, they're you know degrading physically and mentally, and they're I, just trying to cram as much in as. For whatever reason, yeah. I don't think that's what's going on with Harrison Ford, though. That he's trying to like leave a legacy for, like, do he and Ally McBeal, Calista Flockhart have kids? What is he married to Calista Flockhart? I don't think they're married, but I think they're still oh. together. That's wild. I had not heard that name for a little while. They were they were dating for like a long time. That's crazy. Like from from when she was on Ally McBeal, like late nineties, early two thousands, and I don't think he has any kids. He's got five kids. Okay, all right, way off on that. <laughs> all on that one. You were off by a factor of five. <laughs> ben, he's got three sons, Ben, Willard, and Malcolm. Got a daughter, Georgia, and then Liam Flockhart as well. So he's got one kid with Callista. It, w- it would appear so. And the rest are from, like, his wild days. He was sowing his wild oats. When he was the king of the world. Right. He was Han. Huh, maybe, maybe it is then. I don't know. I, I feel like he's just doing it because he fucking can. Yeah, he's just bored or something, you know? Who knows? It's, it's not quite a Clint Eastwood thing where he's crotchety and does whatever he wants. He's still working for other people, but yeah, he just he's co- he's definitely the most active legend of his age. Yep. I mean, Liam Neeson isn't quite that age, and he no. isn't quite as legendary. So, And he's slowing down. Well, never mind. Actually, no, take that back <laughs> as well. He had the fucking movie that came out. I want to call it Matlock, but it's not Matlock. It starts with an M. <laughs> Matlock. And then he's I would got watch the, Liam Neeson as Matlock. He's though. got the Speed in a Car movie coming out. So, yeah, he hasn't slowed down. That was a lie. That was a lie by me. <laughs> were you thinking Memory? Is that the one you were thinking no, of? No, no. It's... Marlowe. 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 And he's also going to be Qui-Gon Jinn in Tales of the Jedi. That's just a voice, I think. So. Yeah, that would make sense. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Good times. Good times. Liam Neeson. Qui-Gon Jinn. Yeah. I mean, that was always a fun, like, even as a as a kid, you know, that movie came out, what, 99, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. My 10th birthday party, dude. Hell, yeah. <laughs> was it Phantom of the Menace themed? <laughs> we went to Phantom Menace. Hell, yeah. My birthday is uh, Memorial Day weekend, so there's usually oh, yeah. pretty consistently a, a big movie coming out that weekend. Matrix Reloaded was another <laughs> birthday yep. movie excursion <laughs> took a bunch uh, of my friends in middle school to the matrix reloaded and i do not think they knew what they were walking into <laughs> and then i think i spent probably about an hour explaining it to everybody afterwards so pretty pretty <laughs> legendary young maze nerd moment you know uh, that's great could not care less how uninterested they were yeah it's not about them plowing forward <laughs> Going into a lot of detail about shit they absolutely never thought about again and moved on with their perfectly normal lives. Uh, That's funny. But you know, every so often they're probably like, God, remember when that guy was just going off about. It would not shut the fuck up about (laughs) twins with white dreadlocks. (laughs) There was a lot going on in that movie, I will say. The freeway scene is. One of the Dude. best things ever put together, like one of the best action scenes. It was so dope. 
Yeah. So fucking. And good. then we got the Smith video game fight. So it's like you had to balance it out. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Best of both worlds. Or, or worst of both worlds. Art, commerce, you know? We rewatched that trilogy. And in that, there was a lot going on in that movie, like the keys and the Merovingian or whatever, the twins. There was so much because they all yeah gives the he gives the girl the cake and then the orgasm cake. Hell yeah! I didn't know that. That's how it worked. You (laughs) imagine imagine seventh grade me learning Mm -hmm. about how vaginas are activated Mm -hmm. with cake (laughs) through chocolate Cake. cake and computer code. Yeah. And a horny Frenchman. Works like a charm. And a very horny, manipulative... Insanely horny Frenchman. (laughs) What's the line? Oh, man. Like, Monica Bellucci busts him for it, and she's like, she didn't kiss you up there, or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I didn't even kiss her. It's like, not up there. Downstairs. This makes me want to go watch this. Your seventh grade mind was like reeling. Uh, I, I love to imagine what each character embodies as far as like what what they're a metaphor for. And that that movie was rife with that shit. All of the characters are like metaphors for different things and, you know, like our different ideas and shit. The second one? There's a lot going on. Yeah. 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 There was like a whole like meta commentary going Once on. Once you go to Zion, they really do start to expand it. Because mm-hmm. the first movie, all the... All the real world stuff is just on the Nebuchadnezzar, and you think that there's nothing really beyond that. Like they're kind of like a right. pirate ship. And then, yeah, they, <laughs> the fucking cave rave, dude. Oh dude, my god, that speech oh is like. <laughs> I mean, we, yeah, we, we've clipped that speech and played it <laughs> on the right. podcast at one point That's in time right. because that shit is fucking amazing. How bad it is! <laughs> it's a ridiculous speech. Like at the end of it, he should have just said orgy. Like yeah, you know what? What if between Matrix One and Two, the Wachowskis definitely went to Burning Man. I <laughs> said, you know what? Yeah, yeah. In a cave, though. In a cave. Yeah, yep. Let's do it. What if Burning Man in a cave? Bam! That's it. Post apocalyptic movie, man, baby. <laughs> Choices were made. New from Starco BS Inc., freeze-dried water. Just a few granules will make a teaspoon of water. I was trapped on a mountainside. It was my darkest day. I was severely dehydrated when suddenly I remembered I had a packet of freeze-dried water in my pocket. Wow! Starco BS Inc. Survival Management Division's chemists have been doing science so you don't have to. The fire was burning out of control and the plumbing was off, when suddenly I remembered about the industrial-sized tub of freeze-dried water we had. We only lost the kitchen and 76% of my skin. All it takes to activate the granules is a teaspoon of water. That's right, freeze-dried water can be yours for the low price of $9 per pound. Wait, it takes water to activate it? How much water does a teaspoon of water make? If you don't have multiple PhDs, you might want to take advantage of the Starco Business Service Inc. Survival Management Division Certified Chemical Engineer Expertise. Or you can be like this incredulous asshole and miss out on our life-saving new product. Hey, excuse me, how is it life-saving? Call now to get your Starco Business Service Inc. Survival Management Division Militia brand freeze-dried water now. Star.
Serco, business servicing, survival, management division, militia brand, freeze-dried water. What the? So you grew up in the Bay Area. I have a lot of roots in the Bay Area. My uh, grandma's lived just south of Santa Cruz for the better part of 30 years. So pretty much my whole whole life. Where, Where south of Santa Cruz? La Selva Beach. Have you ever been to La Selva Beach? It's right between Santa Cruz and Watsonville, probably about the halfway point. Oh, okay. It's like a town of like 300 people. I've driven that strip <laughs> quite a bit. So I was I was yeah. expecting you to say like Capitola or Watsonville or Monterey or something. But no, you dropped a hyper local <laughs> neighborhood beach. It's essentially a neighborhood. Spe- yeah. It's the specific name of the beach. Well, well, it's the name of the little town. I think okay. it's like three to 400 people. Um, La Selva Beach is, 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 is always what it's been called. They have a big 4th of July parade every year, and they have a little surf shop there. And so they used to, I mean, I don't know if they still do this, but they used to have La Selva Beach 4th of July shirts um, made every year. So my grandma used to be sending me those all the time. But That's adorable. It, it was fun. I had a good time. But uh, I, I tried to spend some time in Santa Cruz, and I could never get in with the locals because I would pretty much get shipped down there by my dad you know, every summer so to speak. And I always had a hard time um, getting in with any of the local kids in in Capitola and Santa Cruz. They were too cool. Santa Cruz locs are territorial as fuck. I got a lot. I, I can imagine that being a tough, tough scene. Yeah. As a Santa Cruz college student, bananas looks, we did have the occasional dust up with them. Yeah. And then (laughs) I still have a, couple buddies who live there still and it's kind of, obviously it's kind of different now because he's morphed into a loke or at least he's wearing the camouflage because he's been there so long and i feel like most people in their 20s and early 30s are transplants i don't feel like there's a ton of locals but yes the utes my lord they are little pieces of shit yeah i was a i was 11 years old very chubby you know, with going around with my skateboard, you know, they just opened up, I think the like the Santa Cruz skate park that was down by the boardwalk. I think it had opened up around then. And I was all, my grandma was like, oh yeah, you know, I'll take you down there, drop you off, you know, leave you there. And yeah, proceeded to almost get in fights like five times that day. And then they're just escaping to the boardwalk and just going and like hanging out in the arcade, you know, and, and that was a lot of my summer there. So. Well, you shouldn't have provoked those kids. Yeah, it was your fault, Colin. It's yeah. all my fault. Yeah, yeah. Resting bitch face at a young age. <laughs> <laughs> I think they also have it too easy. Yeah, Th- their life is too good because it. At least, I think now it's probably a little different. But w- even when I was going to school there, which was like a decade ago, 10, 15 years ago, you can literally cover the whole town on a bicycle or on a skateboard. And it's usually pretty nice. Yeah. And you get to roll around with your your friends and you're not too worried about like crime or, you know, anything bad happening to you. It's like mostly a very chill place. So I think they have it too easy. And so they just pick fights with people because they can. And there's yep. no consequences. Yep. Yep. You got to create drama if you don't got any. You know what I mean? It's the spice of life. Yeah, when you grow up in the town with the boardwalk right there, I mean, you can have a lot of fun. I mean, back in the day when I was, you know, a kid, like the Pepsi cans would get printed with the, do you remember the, like the boardwalk 
coupons that were on like Pepsi cans all the time back in the day. So it was like for admission for free or admission for like a dollar and shit like that. Yeah, I had fucking great times when I was there as a kid, minus the the children, but yeah. <laughs> fucking children. That'll happen. Fucking God damn kids, it. man. Yeah. Um, so as a San Fran native. Don't say that. Okay. Uh, as a San Fran <laughs> resident. Don't say that. Quit saying it. <laughs> all right. As a person who occupies the region near or around the Bay Area. Okay. Or has spent a decent amount of time <laughs> in acceptable. the Bay Area. You could also, also just say a San Francisco native. What about a, a San Franciscan? San Francisco How do you feel about that? resident. Either one of those would have worked. But the other thing you said is what's not acceptable. Okay. You could also say SF. You could also say Bay Area. Yay area? Is that acceptable? Ooh, yay area? Probably too white to say that. Ah, oh, damn it. Okay. But <laughs> I mean all three of us, not just you. <laughs> Touche. But yes, your question. What do you think food wise that uh uh Frisco God damn it, John. I'm gonna hang up, dude. <laughs> <laughs> what uh food items would you say that San San Francisco does the best? Because uh, I've had a, a, a hard time finding the, at least in the last so many times that I've been down there, um, you know, it's changed a lot since I was a kid. Um, I've had a hard time finding good local recommendations. All right. So number one, the burrito. Mm. The burrito is a San Francisco staple. Anyone who grew up here, it's the thing they miss most. If they go back east or they go to Europe or they go to Asia or whatever, that's the it's like almost, you know, maybe outside of like In-N-Out Burger, if you are getting straight off of a plane and you're really hungry, you're probably going to get a burrito. Sourdough bread. I know that's just a type of bread, but it's <laughs> very, very good. And okay. Oh, you can right. get sliced sourdough bread. You can get loaves of sourdough bread you can get your boudin trendy tourist bread bowl all that shit works i love sourdough bread i think it's the best bread <laughs> it's a hot take it's pretty biased opinion i know but it's just the thing that i've had i've probably had sourdough bread about as much as i've had anything else in my life it's just good bread it's a good bread number three Dungeness crabs. I know you have them in Oregon too, so it's not necessarily a specifically San Francisco thing, but crab season is fantastic, and East Coast crabs really seem like trash after you've had West Coast crabs. It's true. Because it's the same amount of work, but a tenth of the size or a fifth of the yield or whatever the ratio is. Let's see. I mean... I'd say those are the big three. Do you have any opinions on Dutch Crunch bread? Dutch Crunch is good. I like Dutch Crunch. What the hell is Dutch Crunch, huh? I don't think it's... What is this? It might be... I think it is a Bay Area thing, isn't it? It is. I mean, that's where I first discovered Dutch yeah. Crunch. Was was uh, uh, I had some friends that were from Oakland, um, Berkeley, and yeah, they were, they were ranting and raving about Dutch Crunch and, and telling me all about it. Rob, uh, it is essentially rice flour and water, like paint it with a brush on top of the bread and it creates like a crispy extra layer it'll <laughs> shred your mouth up but uh yeah the it's if, it's, if it's if it's too crispy it will potentially be hazardous for sure yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and the california burrito with the french fries in it 
That's um, a San Diego thing. San Diego thing. Okay. I've never, yeah, actually, yeah, you're right. Never had that. I've had it in Berkeley. San Francisco style is essentially just rice and beans. Okay. Which is not a staple, I guess, everywhere. Right. But yeah, the the classic, the classic San Francisco burrito. I actually just got this piece of art. Hold on, I'll show it to you guys. A little bit of artwork, a little Ooh. visual gag on an audio. A little format. visual. Zhuzh. Nobody gets the joke. A little zhuzh. A little zhuzh. Let's see this thing. Let's see it. Oh, you got a burrito. Uh, How do I? What's it called? A chart that outlines the different burritos. Virtual background. Can you see off. it, Rob? There I can't see. Oh, there it is. There it is. There it is. Look at that. So it's got like oh. A oh, good wow. 40 different burrito spots in the <laughs> Bay Area. <laughs> Only in the Bay Area. Of. That's so that's so specific. Yeah, only in San Francisco, I think, really. That's crazy. But yeah, it's uh, rice, beans, guac, sour cream. Mm. I always go black beans, personally. And then, you know, your meat of choice is the classic San Francisco burrito. Mm. And then in terms of like things that are signature, I mean, there's really good, there's really good like Chinese food and like dim sum out here. Yeah. But nothing else that I would say is like signature san francisco stuff those would those would be my three picks but we do a lot of good stuff well yeah san francisco is a great food city i mean sometimes a little pricey i was down there in uh may i drove a couple musicians down there and can't remember what dis uh what what part of town it was it was just below uh golden gate park the richmond and you know we were walking around looking for food and it was a little bit intense uh, as far as like the pricing goes, as you can imagine, I think one place had like a bowl of pho for forty dollars, and it was just oh, like, oh shit, Jesus. Yeah, but we ended up going to this venue, Neck of the Woods, um, really cool little venue, and it was a very interesting, um, very interesting show. Like we got there for sound check and everything, and the, the as soon as the bartender got there, he just pretty much sparked up a joint, you know, behind the the bar, and the sound man was smoking you know, weed like right behind the the sound stage and love that. Everyone was just lighting up in the venue and I was like, wow, this is this is very uh very free spirited here. But I really liked that little, you know, that little neighborhood. But Yeah, that's definitely true in Santa Cruz as well. They do not care. Santa Cruz was aggressively weed friendly. Yeah. When I was there <laughs> in two thousand and seven. And this is <laughs> yeah. well before, you know, legal weed medical weed was even kind of hard to find but just good old-fashioned buy it from a drug dealer weed was bountiful at that at that point and no one gave a fuck like i i think you could smoke a j in front of a cop and they really wouldn't mind too much yeah yeah that's how it was like in seattle when it was decriminalized it was yeah, you know, didn't really matter. You could just smoke a joint on the street. And nobody gave a shit. And then you have to remember that when you go anywhere else. Yeah, right. Yeah. Cuz Yeah, if you go to Texas, probably not going to oh, be yeah. uh <laughs> as be the welcome there. All of a sudden you're like a fucking serious criminal. Yeah, you're a degenerate. You're yeah. like a hardcore badass <laughs> smoking a joint in yeah. public. Yeah. It's a federally illegal drug. Yeah. Spending so much time between the Bay Area and then up, you know, in, in uh, 
Northwest Washington, you know, just very cannabis friendly, everything. And then going on musical tour and just like, you know, bringing weed along, everything's great. And then you end up in Boise mm. and much, much different. Yeah. And it's Boise is essentially Texas when it comes to that shit. So. That's crazy, man. Still in oh, the this, Northwest. This is a good story. So I was in Florida visiting my aunt. She lives in outside of Tampa in an area around there. And she's only like, she's maybe like eight or nine years older than me or something. She's a super young aunt. She's like the youngest aunt. She's got three kids though, but like still, you know, we still like went out to bars and stuff and like she, you know, would hang. And so I asked her to, how to get some weed while I was there. And she's like, yeah, I know somebody, blah, blah, blah. She like, you know, gave, gave me his number or whatever. I'm texting with him. This dude worked at a car dealership and he, he treated me buying a dub sack of weed from him like it was fucking heroin. <laughs> he's he's like, I put it in the middle seat console of my car. It's in this parking oh lot. It's a God. silver Nissan. Walk in, get in the car, wait a couple minutes, take the weed, <laughs> and then make sure the coast is clear and then go. Oh, my God. And I said, okay. And of course, I go into the parking lot and there's three or four silver Nissans. <laughs> one of them's got weed, he though. Ha- he hasn't told me which one is which. <laughs> so I have to text him. And he like, and then like eventually I found it. It's locked. <laughs> so I have to make contact. I have to be like, hey, man. Oh, my God. Car's locked. He r- sneaks out the back door of the dealership doesn't leave the door looks around like the cops are gonna get him (laughs) tries to cutty like unlock the car and like pop back in like no one noticed he made it so much more obvious (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) if he just walked up to me reached into his pocket handed me the weed (laughs) right i hand him the 20 bucks we're done yeah he made it now there's texts and now mission impossible For 20 bucks worth of terrible Florida weed. But it is a Schedule 1 drug. So, yeah. That's I, I, I was putting him at risk. You were. Yeah. <laughs> it's my fault. Yep. Could have been a fucking SWAT team that descended upon you at any moment. That could have been the end, man. Yeah. You could have been spending the rest of your life in a penitentiary. Raylan Givens from Justified could have fucking <laughs> bagged my ass. I went to New York City in 2010, and I had shipped some weed to my friend in Philadelphia, and they were going to come out to New York, but I had a day where I was just chilling. And, you know, avid cannabis consumer that I was at the time, I was like, all right, well, I need to find something for now. And so I ended up going to Washington Square Park and buying a dime sack (laughs) off the Rastafarians there, just like in Half Baked. Oregano? No, it wasn't oregano, but like I ended up getting one joint worth of weed out of it, but it was just like, you know, about a hundred set, a hundred seeds, bunch of stems (laughs) as, you know, as bad as you could imagine, but still being weed. And then I was telling my friend about it, who I was staying with, uh, he was a student at NYU at the time. And he actually was, uh, he ended up being a a production assistant on girls on the first couple seasons. But he was just like, why did you do that? That's a, you could, you could go down. There's cops all over that place. And he was just like freaking out for me. And I was just like. I mean, I bought the thing and, and I went to a different park and I smoked it. 
He was like, dude, that's all, you can't do that. You can't do that here. Uh, I did. So. Yeah, I did, and I'm okay. <laughs> Weed. It's hilarious. Weed. Marijuana. Marijuana. Cannabis. Grass. Grass. Jaja. Zhuzh. Zhuzh. I have one last Bay Area question, though. Okay. Can you do the thizzle dance? Many, many times. Hell yeah. That's what I wanted to hear. First, you put a look on your face like you smell some piss. <laughs> yes. That's the, that's the baseline. You need to at least be able to do that. Yeah, right. It's a very vital step. <laughs> you want to talk about commercial versus art? That was his most commercial song, but it wasn't his most artistic. No, I think my favorite Mag Dre song is That's Not My Job. Very good song. It's a fucking great song. One of my favorite lines is, I'm higher than Mars, I'm sicker than SARS, and I treat my bitch like an ATM card. <laughs> Certified Mag Drizzy, man. Literally That's it. <laughs> one hell of a way to live, dude. One of my favorite things about Bay Area rap was when they would do like the redundant thing where he, you know, his line, I'll, I'll paraphrase it because I'm not going to say it, but, you know, I slice a person up like some roast beef meat and it's like not roast beef, it's roast beef meat. You need an extra word in there to. <laughs> yeah, there's like a the syllable that needed <laughs> And make it rhyme. That's right. Yeah. Or E40 does that shit too, <laughs> where he'll, he'll say like something that's, that's redundant at the end of it, but it like it works and it's so Bay Area. That style. Bay Area rap was very influential for in the Pacific Northwest more than anything mm-hmm. else. I mean, between Deltron, mm-hmm. Mac Dre, Andre Nicotina, you know. Or like stuff, Project so. Bloat or, you know, that kind of thing. Well, that's L.A. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. I was thinking yeah. of, uh, sorry, Good Life. Good Life. There's sort of an intersection. Because there. there wasn't any Pacific Northwest rap to, to rely on, I'm guessing. Macklemore. I mean, there's Sir Mix a lot, you know. Yeah. <laughs> where is he? Where is he from? Seattle. Okay. Sir I didn't know yeah, that. Sir Mix a lot. Yeah, he's from Seattle. Ass capital of the world, Seattle, <laughs> Washington. Yeah, it's not where you would imagine no. it, but yeah, no, not at, not at all. It's nothing like when the first time I went to Miami, I was like, oh, there are butts. Yeah, <laughs> there are actual butts. Maybe that's yeah. what Sir Mix a lot also did. He went to oh, Miami yeah, and he was like, maybe. wow, holy yeah, he crap! Hung out with uh, two live crew. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you can't. Out here. There are butts out here. You just can't really identify them as easily because yeah. they're under many layers of under a rain clothes coat. and raincoats. Yeah, and that's very sweaters. true. Flannels, flannels, flannels. That the tie, the flannel tied around the, uh, yep. the waist, whatnot. Enemy yep. to pervy men everywhere. That's right. Yeah, Macklemore. You know, I remember playing a couple shows with Macklemore like way back in the day before he was famous. But yeah, that's you know you have Sir Mix a lot than Macklemore like so there's a a big yeah. gap of of lot, there was there was room to to grow mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. yeah and so there are a lot of you know underground uh, people that were making good music and still putting out records so but not to a, a, any level of commercial success or even like acceptance from the community in the same way that either of those yeah because there was uh, the Blue Scholars you know that was probably the oh, closest yeah. thing I like Blue in Scholars. the gap yeah yeah. Yeah, they were they were great. I mean, that was, sounds like we were in college essentially at the same time, so that was like perfect for that that time period. I think they came out in two thousand. Sabzi's production was amazing. I loved it. It was good. It was, it was very, very good. good. And then and then Common Market was a spinoff mm, of the mm-hmm. or, you know same producer, different rapper. Ross Ian, who fun. people make the joke that I'm the unevolved Pokemon of. Nice. 
on many occasions. People You're the Charmander, the he's the Charizard, or yeah, something exactly. like that? Something like Who's that. the Charmeleon? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, for a while, I was rapping with this guy, uh, this other guy. I'm not going to name it, but whatever. He kind of looked like a mixture of us, you know? So he was oh, like wow. the middle evolution. <laughs> you know who you are. That's funny that there actually was like a step in between. Yeah, yeah. There was a, there was a three-tiered uh, thing going on. But I never made a record with Ross Ion, so. How dare you? He's dead to me. He's dead Your cat starting shit, Colin? What's going on? Cat is uh, hairballing. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Oh, man, hairballing it, it up, it huh? Good job, dude. Better out than in. Better out than in. My cat sounds like she's plunging a bucket when she's about to <laughs> throw up. It's kind of nice, though, right? Like a little alarm yeah, noise so you can run and, you know, she move also, them if you have to. Before the plunger noise, she'll she'll make this, like, human-like cry. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh oh, are you over <laughs> hardwood floor? No, of course you're not. Of course, of course not. not. They need to yeah. do it on a rug or gotta something. Do I don't understand it. Got to do it on the couch. Got to do it in the food bowl. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> that's always a good one, dude. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. We have carpets in like two thirds of our house, so unfortunately, yeah. And we have three cats. There's a lot of hairballs. Yeah. It'll happen. He'll live. Well, uh, Maze, thanks for coming in and kicking it with us. Yeah, man. Appreciate you. No childhood ruined. No childhoods ruined. Nope. Just nope. a bit of nope. nostalgia. But we did uh, spend some time in the pit of nostalgia, you know? So Definitely. Mm-hmm. True to the name. Quite a bit. Yeah. In the Matrix pit. We the learned pit a lot. of the Wachowskis. We went through some things. Um, we got some shit hashed out. It was very productive. Yep. I know what not to call San Francisco now. Doesn't sound like you do. Sounds like you're gonna keep <laughs> fucking this up. Oh man. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty good at that. I'm pretty good at that. And most important of all, we solved it. Art versus we did. commerce. Solved it. We did. Fixed yep. it. Fixed it. We you're no welcome. longer have any question about it. What a disappointment. Yeah. The whole point was to ask the question and now we have the answer. And it's like, what's the point now? Just fun. All right. One last question before you leave. Yeah. What is your uh, favorite Coen Brothers movie? Big Lebowski, dude. What a dumbass Fuck question. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, just That's curious. it. That's it. You said my favorite. You didn't say best, so. Yeah. That's it's, what I said. It's a hands down no brainer. Okay. Big Lebowski. That movie's changed my one. life several it's times. Movie. It's the most rewatchable movie. For real. Yeah. For real. Yeah. I, I definitely picked up on certain things. 10, 15 times in that I didn't before. And now I'm at the point where I, I like get this like rush whenever I put it on of like thinking in my head of where we're going as soon as like a scene starts or like, Oh, this scene leads to this or, Oh, remember this part. It's so fun. It's it's my favorite movie ever. Yeah. I was going to say every time I rewatch it, I'm like, Oh, Oh shit. Right. I forgot about that. Or like, like wait what what was that i don't remember that yeah there's a lot going on in that movie it's great also my dad is named walter and he kind of looks like john goodman (laughs) and so just imagine does he have an explosive anger issue no that's the thing (laughs) but he can get loud as fuck so it's not you're out of your element 
like he he does you know if he shaved his head if he like did the crew cut and put on a cargo vest <laughs> like it would fully happen so should get him to do that for halloween one year yeah you could be the dude he could yeah. be walter yeah i just who needs halloween when you can just live your life like that <laughs> that's true that's true yeah okay because you said the big lebowski though would you say that in and out burger would be as popular as it is now without that movie or do you think that it really cemented in and out burger into the pantheon of pop culture they got good burgers walter um that's a good question i think it would have done it without it i think jesus got in and out to where it is <laughs> jesus those th- those bible quotes down on the cut you know? i think they've cut down on it but it used to be <laughs> yeah. way worse yeah like it, it, like the the piece of paper on your tray when they would serve oh, you sh- your food used to be like a song I remember that they were not fucking around damn talk about the prosperity gospel those people the people who made in and out burger did two things they fucking made burgers and they love jesus christ yeah i mean it's a good fucking burger it worked out yeah it's the order it should be in i i respect them so much for never adding a single thing to the menu and for really not raising the prices that much yeah no, I like we. I started. I helped to start a fast food restaurant in Portland that was essentially supposed to be an In and Out Burger, you know, because we didn't have that up here. And I got sent to California to like go to a couple In and Out Burgers and like study the way that they did everything because the the level of efficiency in which they run their product and just everything about it is like a masterclass in running a, a business. And I, th- I agree 100%. The idea that they've never added anything to the menu is what part of the reason that makes it as good as it is. And the layout is exactly the same. Yeah. Which is really trippy. Yeah. To go to some in and out off the five in the middle of nowhere. And it's exactly the same as the one that's the closest to your house. <laughs> yeah. Genius. Yeah, there's one in uh, Salem, Oregon now, which. Oh, wow. Exact parents live there if i recall correct something like that but either way uh in and out you know why that is colin because god made us in his image it's facts yeah well now i know all right sir well appreciate you coming into the pit is there anything you'd like to plug before you yeah before you get out of here listen to cinephobe you baba dukes it's a podcast where we blah 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 bad movies ascertain with me, Zach Harper, and Amino Hassan, it's slowly ruining my brain. You have ruined the way that I watch movies, like yeah. all three of you guys. <laughs> it's quite the compliment. Yeah, like <laughs> seeing an animal and being like, you know, that dog is ass on. Like, God damn it. You know it's, what I mean? Like, It's when Neo sees the code at the end of the <laughs> Matrix. It really fucking is, man. Yeah. It's, and you know that all of these characters are just sushi recipes is that facts is that for real yeah <laughs> wow dude that just blew my mind that's awesome so it's what the fuck once you see that the world is oh just made God. up of sushi <laughs> it's just made all the way down dude sushi Everything. life is sushi yep. <laughs> holy shit it's hard to go back oh. to the world before knowing that <laughs> yeah no that blew my mind i'll never be the same all right sir appreciate you coming in once again yeah. All right, y'all. Have a good one. Yep. Have Thank a you. good weekend, Peace. man. Sit it. Oh. Twins. Blood sport. It's a Dead fall. It's
Anaconda. It's a five. That's my boy. That's a four. Memory. It's a five. Theo Rex. It's a five. John Travolta backpack and a skull cut. Brendan Fraser, Southern gentleman in full strut. Nick Cage taking swings at an old woman. What? Don't trip, get fallen like John Goodman. Narrator, exposition, and a fresh bevy. Bad moves need a new coach. So gets Eddie. Honest podcast, a big opportunity. Number one song bumping in the citrus community. Is it? Isn't it? Welcome to Cinephobe. They watched you speak a low. It was bad. Modern day Romeo. Is he? Isn't he? What was that episode 56? Shit, I don't even know. I don't know. Step up to Uncle Frank. Who's that? Get played like a piccolo. That's a flu. Maddie Mac. Gary Old. Getting me up on my tippy toes. 170 years? I must be getting old. Memory getting real bad. Thinking way back to the pain off a cast. I am the wrath. Ain't going cast. Zach Mays and I mean be sipping through trash. Belly. It's a Rhinestone, it's a five. Zookeeper, that's a four. Poison Rose, it's a five. Blank Man, it's a five. Super Troopers, it's a five. How High Action Jackson Teen Witch, it's a five. Rocky Four, it's a five. Taken Three, it's a five. Turtles Two, it's a five. Lawn Mowers Get a Fred Claus, that's a four. R.I.P.D., that's a four. Venom, Venom, Solid Four. Watch a Vision, it's a in the chest, kinda like whooping cough, American ninja like my dude, Mike Dudikoff, I'm on one great spoon, fast off to the kid who played young Frank Boots, Zack in his Oakley's Jackie Moon in a cheap fur, a mean doing research on the court next to Steve Kerr, Maze in the back still pissed, they phobed hot rod, if you thought this song would be a vote, you were not wrong. Now that moose is in the house, Albanian 50 cent can go and move amongst the crowd. Got that loud just like Moondog, put Jackie Legs on the Toon Squad. That Emil Kovac, that Carson Phillips, that Lewis Pinnock, that We take the bank, watching Jade. You bet that trivia is sacrosanct. Yeah. If you listen to this song in its entirety, I will give you a DVD copy of Mission Impossible uh, Ghost Protocol. All you have to do is give us a five star review on Apple or Spotify. Otherwise, this song will be deleted from the internet uh, by the end of the year. Uh, That is a threat. Semi-pro. Heart condition. I watch the watch. Roadhouse. Money plane. White chicks. Howard the It's a fun.